and uh, welcome to Rare Together. This is a regular podcast from LDA Research where we try to understand what life is like when you're living with a rare disease. I'm your host, Andrew Grant, and today we have two guests joining us who have very kindly agreed to share their experiences. Um, they've both been diagnosed with different conditions, but as you'll see, the actual experience is often very similar. So let me introduce you to our two lovely guests today. Firstly, we have Jan, who is joining us all the way from Iowa in the USA. Hi, Jan. Hi. Hi, Jan. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks for being here. And also we have Amanda, who's joining us from Oakhampton in the United Kingdom. Hello, Jan. How are you today? Hi, Andrew. Um, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. Well, welcome both of you, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really do appreciate it. The best thing to do, I think, to start off would be um, if you could both tell us a little bit more about yourself. So let me start with you, Amanda. Um, just tell us a little bit about you know, your home situation and something about the condition that, uh, that you suffer from, please. Okay. Um, I, I live alone, so um, I can struggle a lot with that. And um, my condition is called relapsing polychondritis, which is a rare autoimmune condition which attacks your cartilage throughout your body. Um, so it's affected in many, many different ways. Oh, I see. Okay. Thank you. And Jan, the same for you. If you could just um, give us a brief introduction and tell us about your condition, please. Um. I have a condition called burning mouse syndrome and a very difficult and often not recognized by the medical community as being um, a painful condition. It's very frustrating for me. Um, I've gone through several dentist doctors oral surgeons, you name it, I've been there, uh, specialty clinics for Bernie Mouse syndrome, um, uh, lots of different trials with medication, and at this point, I have no relief still. It's been um, over two years. Right. Okay. I got the impression from what you said there that it took a long time to actually get a, a confirmed diagnosis. Is that right? That is right. Um, my situation is I moved away from a primary care for years to Iowa. So I was starting kind of like the beginning, um, looking for, you know, options. And then I developed just Went to bed one night, the next day woke up with kind of a strange sensation on my tongue, which, you know, is like busy, crazy. So that's part of my journey too, is just getting, you know, people to recognize that it burns, it's scalding. It feels like hot coffee all day. All night. I mean, I'm pretty classic as far as um, symptoms. But finding that, yeah, this is what's wrong with you, has been a struggle. Right. No, I can understand that. Absolutely. And, and what is it that causes burning mouth syndrome? Is, it, is there an uncause? 
No, it's idiopathic. It can be or secondary, which I don't really know if there's a difference because a lot, I'm in a support group for Bernie Mel syndrome. And we kind of all share the same symptoms. Um, It starts like at night when you go to bed and sleep, you have no burning. And we're pretty much all like that. But as soon as you wake up, like it's phantom pain. Sometimes it's numb, swollen lips that you think you've had Botox during the night. You wake up and there's nothing there, but it's, it's what you feel. Um, and it is your tongue. It typically starts the tip of the tongue and that's how mine started. Right, right. Understood. Uh, thank you. Well, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second and particularly the diagnostic diagnosis journey. Amanda, tell, tell me something about uh, relapsing polychondritis, which I frankly, I've not heard of before. It's a very rare condition affects three in a million. That's the sort of statistic that they give. Um, like Jan, I experienced a very long delay in diagnosis. Um, so I, um, I had joint pain for most of my life, which worsened when I was on hormone treatment. Um, and then my ears started going red, but only this bit, not the lobe. And right. they were very sore, they split, and it's because that bit's cartilage, but the lobe isn't. Um, I have an ulcerated nose inside because there's cartilage in the nose, and often you get a saddle nose where the bit here collapses. So on the bridge of your nose, and it looks like it's squashed because cartilage has sort of been destroyed. Um, and then I also, during lockdown, unrelated to COVID, I, I, um, developed breathing trouble and my lower trachea and bronchi have collapsed. So the structure of the, the body part there isn't holding it's so called floppy and that's to do with the disease attacking the cartilage down there so um yeah and diagnosis wise i was eight years with flares so i i kept track of my flares eventually to try and say look can you look at my symptoms all together rather than dividing them into separate ones and um right. i took the you know, the, the sort of diary, if you like, to the doctors. Um, but unfortunately, I, I saw three locums in my area when, um, when I was there. Um, one was, you know, the initial one. The second one um, actually mentioned relapsing polychondritis. And so I had a, a name. And then I, and he said he'd see me next time. I went back to the third one and he said, um, as is quite common in conditions, um, that it was anxiety and that was nothing wrong with me. So I then was discharged and still having the same trouble. But because I had the name, I was able to get a referral to the top consultant in the condition in the country. And I've been with that clinic ever since. And that's where I've got my treatment from. And, you know, they've, they've saved my life really, you know, from pain was horrendous and, you know, dealing with 
constant chronic pain is just horrible if it's not managed. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm under a good team in, in London, but I, I do have to rely on them in London, even though I live in Devon. So, um, it's, you know, it's good in that respect. They're specialists in the condition, but, um, right. not if it's an emergency locally. Right. Right. Understood. Thank you for that. That's interesting. Um, so come to you again, Janet. So, um, what, how, how does, how does your syndrome affect your life? Um, the syndrome, first of all, I'll, I lost 40 pounds because it burns so bad. You, I'm on a restricted because I know what will trigger even more burning. So I don't really have much of, I have an appetite. I'm hungry, but I know safe foods and most everything is not safe. Nothing red, spicy. Um, and that affected, you know, that was like, whoa, this, you know, what's this weight loss? But um, it affected my weight, then the quality of my life, because I think like Amanda, I was, everyone I saw and continue to see suggested, you need to go to the therapist, you need to go to the psychiatrist, you need, you know, and I'm like, I'm not making this up. This is a real condition. Um, I have labels of drug seeking, but actually I want lidocaine to numb it. Um, it it's, you know, it's not pleasant. I have, um, you know, I'm kind of sheltered because I also suffer from extreme exhaustion, whether it's related, I'm not sure, but you know, you can't really do much, um, or you pay the price, but yeah. You, yeah, you, you, you talked about some things you can eat and things you can't eat, which sounds like most things. So, so did you have to figure that out yourself or did you get the advice in that respect? Um, I did not any help in that respect. No, I just knew that I was told to avoid spicy food and anything red. And it's more like you can eggs and you can have oatmeal. And for the first six months for all three meals, I ate cream of wheat six months straight times a day. That probably weight loss, but it was at least it didn't burn. Um, it also, it's the time I said, oh, I don't need to even have a clock because every day at, you say three o'clock, it was called the bewitching hour. The burning would intensify as the day went on, um, which many do suffer that as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, by the time, like now, I usually try to go to bed around seven thirty so I can get out of the misery and go to sleep and get you know some relief. Right, right. That sounds uh, sounds terrible. Absolutely, Amanda. T t tell me, how does um, your condition affect your life? Um, well, I'm on lots of medication, 
And it's from the last sort of couple of years, I've actually been on a treatment that has been working. So it's taken a long while. I was diagnosed in 2015. So it's taken all that while to actually find a treatment that works. So um, like, you know, lots of these conditions, you have flare-ups. So I was getting more flare-ups before the treatment started to work. And um, you try taper steroids quite a lot of the time when you're, you know, got these inflammatory conditions like RP. Um, and I just wasn't having any luck with that. Every time I went down just one milligram, my RP would flare really badly. So um, for the first time this year, I've actually managed to taper my prednisolone. So that's that's good because it's helping me in other ways with um, my weight and, and my breathing. Um, but I, I, I get very tired, I get fatigued and... So I, I've had to learn to really pace myself. So um, I'm, I used to always be busy and I, I still get involved in things, but I really have to listen to my body and make sure that I stop and just do things in bits rather than all at once. Um, so like, you know, if I wanted to do some gardening, I'd, I'd have to just do a little bit and then come sit down. And anything basic, I mean, you know, like pacing, like if you're doing the washing, you hang it up in stages rather than doing it all in one go. Um, and, and I have to have a breathing machine because of my collapsed stairway. So I can wear that in the daytime when I need it. So if I'm doing gardening and, and exerting myself like that, I can wear that and it goes over my nose and forces air into my lung it's a mobile CPAP machine um, yeah. and then I also have one overnight as well which keeps me breathing properly at night time because um, otherwise my sats can drop low um, and then you wake up with a really bad headache because you haven't had the amount of oxygen you should have had when you're sleeping and that increases your fatigue and, and you know and affects your whole lifestyle so my routine is 27, well, not different, 27 medicines in the day plus my breathing machine, which um, keeps me going. <laughs> but it's just a very, very difficult thing because every time you get a new symptom, you go through the grieving cycle. So, you know, get a new label, you have to deal with the depression that brings because it's another lifestyle change it affects what you're doing affects your quality of life get used to treatment and eventually you move into the adapted phase where you actually think right i can do this but in a different way and it get, it takes a lot to get yeah. your head around that to be able to pace and and move forward Right, so you have to learn new new techniques, new new ways of being every time. All right, yeah. understood. Does that experience resonate with you, Jan? I mean, do, do, does the does does the disease change as time goes on? For me, um, it has. It's made. Um, I was very active and did probably like Amanda. You know, I I had a life. And now it's like, 
I dream. I want my old life back. I'll take whatever I had back because this is not really not living. It's existing, which that's not like me. And like Amanda said, you learn. I haven't really accepted this yet. It's been over two years and I'm still struggling to accept this is probably going to be with me the rest of my life. It tends to last for years. Um, I want medicine. That's what I beg for all the time. Just give me something. And it's like, I'm a guinea pig here. Let's try this for, you know, but it's not really working for me. You mentioned that, um, uh, you mentioned lidocaine earlier on. Um, is that something you can get or is that something you'd like to get, but you can't? I can, um, I have found a direct primary care physician, which has opened up a whole new world for me. Okay. And, um, she, you know, I could interview her. What I was getting was, you're too complicated. We can't take you. Yeah, we have to talk to the doctor. No, you're too complicated. Right. And it was frustrating. I mean, I was going to doctor, to doctor, to doctor and specialist. Um, I'm in a university town. And, mm-hmm. you know, they have eight dental school, whatever. But all I wanted to do was get a referral to pain management. And they have refused every time I try to get, you know, pain management. They, no, they won't accept me as a patient. On, so, on what basis? On what basis is that? But they don't know enough about it, and they have standard is like um, benzos, uh, gabapentin, things that are that people take for nerve conditions. It's off label, but right. they you know, buy anything. So, but pain management, every time they get a referral from whichever doctor, and I just tried again to see if maybe my new primary care, but no, I still can't find anyone who will control the pain. Right. I understood. That must be really difficult. Um, You said earlier on, if I heard you right, you said um, it lasts for several years, which suggests that it is possible that it could come to an end for you is 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 that right or um well if you really look at uh it's like i said i i feel like i'm kind of the classic it starts usually after menopause for most of us during your 60s late 50s 60s 70s and there's people in my group who have suffered for 20 years and they're still struggling so I, I don't, I don't know if there'll be, you know, an answer to how to you deal with it. I was in therapy, so I do have some tricks that I can, you know, try to do, but it doesn't take the pain away. I don't know what would take the pain away. The night lidocaine is numbing. Um, and that's it. It doesn't really last. It's like a band-aid. And then you take it off and, you know, something will happen again. But it does give me a relief 
Okay. Okay. Understood. Thank you. If you or someone you know is affected by a rare disease diagnosis, I'd like to take a moment to point you in the direction of the Rare Disease Network. It's a private support group on Facebook where we bring together people with all sorts of rare diseases from all over the world. You'll find exclusive research and insight. You'll get the chance to ask your questions to leading medical professionals, and you'll hear some engaging and inspirational stories from our growing community. There's a link to the group in the episode note below. We'd love to see you there. Um, Amanda, I just want to um, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how you find out about your disease. You, you said that at, at one point with the second locum, uh, they gave you the name relapsing polychondritis. You had something to, to kind of latch onto. You, onto. Um, so did you then do your own research to find out more about it? And if so, how, you know, how did you go about doing that? Yeah, I... I Googled it because I was at my wit's end, really. Um, so um, I found a Facebook group and joined it. And Lisa, who's become a friend, um, pointed me to this Facebook support group and told me who the um, specialist was in London. And I thankfully got referred from my GP to London to see him and he diagnosed me straight away. So I was then, um, <laughs> you know, properly diagnosed and able to seek treatment. But um, it's it's had an effect on other health conditions as well, which um, I've, I've just sort of developed um, because of my breathing being collapsed I can't have operations so my right. um my bowel has collapsed it's probably due to endometriosis and it's sort of twisted around the back of the mesentery um behind the peritoneum so that's really affected my life again over the last couple of years because I've had to adapt what I eat so much like Jan was saying um so it's another thing so you know it, it's it complicates things. It makes you a complicated patient. Um, and, you know, even though Jan's in um, America with a different health system, I've also gone to my local sort of services and even with the diagnosis struggled um, and been told I can't be treated there So because it's uncomplicated. So I have to go back to right. London or get the London team involved if I have a problem or need an ambulance or go to A&E and stuff like that. I have to make sure that I'm compass enough to be able to, you know, get them involved. And I, I have it all written down so that there's something that can be given to them if I'm, you know, taken in an emergency to try and help that. Right. Okay. 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 Yeah, I understood. Um, you mentioned the Facebook group. Um, you, you mentioned a friend that, that, that you have there. Uh, how useful has, apart from identifying that uh, specialist, how useful has the Facebook group been generally? Then be very useful. There's a group for UK um, people with RP, and then there's a couple of bigger ones that go across the world. So I'm in all of right. one. And um, yeah, it just it's just a lifeline for you to be able to communicate with people who have what you have um so that there's an understanding 
um this is sharing of information and and just generally support for each other and yeah it, it just okay. makes a huge difference to to know that there are people out there i actually met three people with rp for the first time ever last weekend in person oh well and and that was very special <laughs> to actually okay. meet people yeah right. right. yeah that must have been definitely a big a big difference what about you jan have, have you are you a member of any support groups for uh, burning mouth syndrome at all i am um i didn't even think about a support group when I, I just wanted an answer why my mouth was burning um and I didn't know there was a support group out there so for about six months I kind of you know relied on Google um to kind of help me ask questions when I would go see a doctor one of my issues in the beginning which was ignored was I had thrush and it was apparent that my tongue was yellow. It was, you know, on top of the burning, but I'm like, what's wrong with my tongue? And I'm asking and begging, just culture my tongue and you're going to get an answer. Wouldn't. And that was frustrating. And when I found the support group, it, w- it opened up a whole new world for me. Like, Amanda, you, it's like your family that understands you know like we'll even have where we don't talk about burning mouth we'll talk about just share a picture of our pet just to kind of like so we're normal too we're not just dealing with um challenges to, mm-hmm. from what um it's it is a fairly large group that i'm in um, we do have people all over. Um, so I just feel like I have, you know, a lot of hope. I don't think I could be where I'm at today without that support group. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, that's really good to know. Um, just ask you a quick question. What, one thing I've heard in the past about support groups in, in all sorts of other areas is sometimes, um, there's a tendency to, to dwell on the worst aspects of the, uh, of the disease. Uh, rather than you know being being positive, have you ever had that experience with with with, with um, support groups at all? Um, this I I think you have to approach it with the attitude that's correct. So, um, I tend to I'm a positive person, so I I tend to reply to support other people if they're going through symptoms that you know I've had. I have um, and and help yeah. um, or referring to website got an RP website UK and and it involve other people that I know can help. Um, but I mean, there's there's the good side of Facebook that I really dwell on, and there's a fantastic um, charity called Race for RP in America, and there's a racing car team who's. Um, uh, one of the racing drivers, um, I, d- I think it's one of his relations has RP and they do a lot of fundraising. So okay. an awareness. So I, I'm, I'm a great believer in, you know, using the support group for what you need it to rather than letting it drag you, you know. Yeah, down. right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Understood. 
Actually, let's talk about support outside of uh, support groups. So I know you said, Amanda, that you live alone. Um, but are there other people in your life who uh, do help you or can help you or support you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I was, um, unfortunately, I had a lot of pain from endometriosis all my life. Um, so it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I actually started to socialize properly. So I've been very reluctant to give that up. So um, with part of what I, I do is um, try and adapt to, you know, different things. Like today I've been with Singing for Wellness, which is a choir, which is for people with spiritual trouble. So we do yeah. pulmonary exercises and stretches, helps you with your lungs. And then we sing. So that's enabled me to keep singing. Whereas when I first got my breathing trouble, I was really quite poorly for a year until I got my treatment. So that's, you know, kept that going. Um, and, um, and with music, you know, and hobbies and things, I, I used to be a handbell ringer, but I can't now because my joints, especially my shoulders, uh, they're too sore. I can't stand for long periods, which, you know, is, is, is ideal when you're doing that sort of activity. So um, I've taken up the ukulele and, um, you know, I, <laughs> and I, I've done things. So, and, and learned from someone in the group that there's a type of ukulele that it can actually press the strings lighter. So I've got okay. a type of ukulele that I don't have to grip so hard. So mm-hmm. it's a, all, all about finding things you can do and then you get that support by reaching out to people and, you know, just socializing and things i also have a cleaner who comes once a week and if i didn't have her coming in to help me my energy would be used up with just doing basic housework so her coming in you know gives me opportunity to actually have a life and have some quality of life uh, interesting point that you would yeah you would use up your your precious energy on mundane activities right okay yeah so Jan so what about your support group I know you don't live alone but um you so so what kind of support do you get from the people around you um I'm married and so my husband is here um basically I call him my caregiver now because he um the one thing is is because it's three o'clock and the burning gets really out of control by that point. I'm pretty done with the day. So um, he makes most of my meals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also have six children, so, and grandchildren. It's hard to, you know, like they're used to. You know, their mom now was like, drop everything, come and help. And I don't think they, I don't think anyone besides my husband really gets it because I have to put on, I have to, you know, look my best, feel, you know, and then when they go, oh, do you still have that, that burning? They don't even really understand. My husband sees it at night, like. He knows to get the teething rings out. Um, he knows at 7.30, I'm probably going to want to go to bed. because I'm. So I, I do have the support from him. Uh, not really with 
friends don't get it. They're like, oh, you still have that? Because it's invisible. I mean, it's in my mouth. Right. Yes, I've, I've heard this from other people with with other conditions as well, but um, because these things are so rare, um, yeah. and people you know, go through that, that, that phase where they either don't believe it or they don't think it's real. Or yeah, I, I, I understand that, which must be incredibly frustrating. Do you, do you find that at all, Amanda? That you come across that sort of situation? Very much. It's it's invisible, just like Jen said. I mean, you know, if um, someone sees you out side you know pets socializing out and about they presume that you're always doing that whereas right. i have you know you have to do with pacing you have to rest and you know, perhaps not it's not sort of visible when you're sitting inside resting and recovering so you know, there's an assumption that you're out every day if, if you go out once a week and stuff like that and and you do get judged because you look well, so people will say, oh, you look well. And of course, with, when you're in pain, chronic pain, and someone says that, you, you're like, you know, it just, just make, it's quite an upsetting thing. You know, people just don't understand that it's a judgment on, you know, on, on a life that's, you know, probably struggling in, you know, behind the scenes. And you get that a lot, you know, with the community. But, you know, it, just have to explain you know to to people um and not go overboard but you know just you know just gently say that no i i have to have my rest days and that's why i'm out today and and i can manage but you know there are times when i'm in extreme pain and i have to manage those days you know um at home you know and and that's what enables me to come out so, yeah, I mean, I, I have a cane, so that gives a bit of visibility. I, I use a wheelchair on a mobility scooter, but um, I'm an ambulatory wheelchair user, so sometimes I use it, sometimes I don't. So, you know, depending on my energy, my pain levels, and my breathing. So, you know, and sometimes, you know, I don't want to go out with my breathing machine on and I know that, yeah. you know, perhaps you should, but it's, it's quite obvious that you are disabled when you have equipment like that. So that makes it visible, but sometimes you perhaps, you know, don't want to, to do that. And, that you know, fun. it's, it's part of, you know, what makes your life good at the end of the day. Right. Of course, of course. Yeah. So, Janet, I'm really interested in what you just said there, Janet, about, um, you know, your, your children and feelings that you have to put on your best face for your children. And it's only your, um, your husband who kind of sees the, the real situation. Um, so how do you, I mean, he's obviously been very supportive, but how do you think it affects him? Oh, I think it affects him a lot. Um, right. So I think that um last year you know when i was at my lowest weight like he would say i am afraid to even touch her because i feel like i will break her you know he would wow. tell friends family you know and they're like well just why don't you just eat and it's like um why don't you just drink my scalded coffee so i felt um i do feel that I struggle with, I'm not normal, but 
to to look at me, I am normal to look at, but inside I sometimes have bad days where it is depressing to have something that no one can understand. I said I could get all the doctors that I've seen to agree on a treatment, but it's like, no, don't do that. Do this, do this. The pharmacy has been not, you know, my friend as well because they judge what I take or what I try. And I'm like, I, I, then drunk, you know, but you're out. You're, you know, you're walking in to pick it up. And it's just sometimes you just get to the point where you shut down and you put that support group. Someone will be there. I mean, someone will be like, I need help right now. And um, you've got someone there supporting you, talking you, you know, you can do it. Just, you know, let's try this tonight. Or, you know, how about if you take an Epsom salt bath or, you know, the, whatever. Yeah. But I don't know what I would be struggling still. But I do have that that helps me out a lot. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I heard you right early on in the conversation. You said there are burning mouth clinics. Did you say that? Specialist clinics? Um, there is. And that was the first one um, after about, I waited to get in because of COVID. Everything was like, back up. <laughs> you know, it was like trying to get into that. They even made me feel like, well, there's a lot of patients that come here, but all I got from that was frustrated. It's a teaching hospital. I okay. felt like a oral surgeon who, oral pathologist, whatever she was, was educating her student on Bernie Mouse syndrome. And the reason she has it is look at her medication. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I've been taking this medication for years. And, you know, it, it was really sad that it's one doctor. It's not a clinic. Like I'm thinking they're going to have pain management. They're going to have education, nutritionists, whatever you need. No, it wasn't like that. Um, and it just made me resent future, you know, I will not go there anymore. They are, you know, that they have done. It's made me, um, the trust is no longer there for a lot of what, you know, who I've seen. How can I trust them? Right. Yeah. That must have been um, doubly frustrating. You thought you'd found an answer and then um, it turned out to be not, not an answer at all. Yeah. Understood. Right. Uh, Okay, well, we, well, I think we've uh, probably covered uh, covered most things I wanted to cover. But um, I just wanted to ask you both individually. I'll start with you, Amanda. What what is the the kind of the one thing that you would like other people to know about your condition? Um, I think an understanding that if someone looks all right, sometimes they're battling something inside, um, and right. also to reach out for help. You know, don't just, don't feel like you've got to deal with it on your own. I mean, I, I'm at okay. a stage like Jan where I'm very 
reluctant to call for help, especially here. Um, I'd rather call my London team. Um, so I know I've got somewhere to reach out to and, uh, and I will do that. And also, um, one thing that is really needed is integrated care. So, um, in London, there's a multidisciplinary team, like Jan was saying, where you do get the dietitians, the rheumatologists, the yep. chest clinicians, you know, everyone working together. And I think if you've got something, especially if you've been given a name or something and you're stuck, um, reach out to communities and try and seek that help, especially from specialists. And I, you know, that there, there are people out there who can help you. You're not alone. Right. Understood. Understood. And what about you, Jan? What's, what, what's the one thing that you would like other people to know about burning mouths? Oh, there's so many things out there that, you know, I, I think awareness too, as far as like, okay, we're not, we're all kind of in this world together and we all, you know, should be treated equally. I feel I have been through the ringer in the last two and a half years, starting with not just the medical aspect, pharmacy. Um, the false hopes that, you know, you, you think you're going to the best Bernie Mouse syndrome, which I went to a very good, well-known where everyone wants to go clinic and, uh, they didn't get it either. All they got was, oh yeah, we should, I, you know, test your mouth. And hmm, eight months later, you were right. You do have thrush, which got out of control. I probably will have it, but. You know, then who was going to treat it? Because I had to drive a distance. Um, so awareness that, um, you know, we, we deserve, I think, not to be judged because we're different. I, I've never even heard of this. I mean, until, you know, like I, I'm Googling it and, you know, I'm like, is there really, you know, it's got to be something really wrong with my tongue. Look at it. It doesn't look normal. But um, just to accept that, you know, I think healthcare needs to change and treat you, you know, like I feel like well, I'm older. They don't really care about me anymore. You know, I'm, they need to understand I want a life. I don't want to be like this. I can't help it. I have friends. So, like Amanda, to be, you know, normal. Want to be normal. Yeah, I, I can completely understand that thought, definitely. Well, thank you so much, both of you. That uh, just about wraps it up, but it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I really, really thank you for sharing so candidly your experiences. Um, uh, yeah, it must be incredibly difficult. Um, so thank you for that. So if you, as the audience, have enjoyed this podcast, then uh, please let us know what you think. Um, is your experience similar to Jan or Amanda's or is it different for you? Uh, please let us know in the comments. And also don't forget to subscribe to these podcasts to make sure that you don't miss out. If you know anybody else who might like to join in the conversation and send them the link and uh, let them join in as well. We also have a Facebook group, which is called the Rare Disease Network, and you can join the conversation on there very easily. So thank you everybody for listening. 
Thank you very much, Jan. Thank you very much, Amanda. It's been uh, great to talk to you. And uh, I wish you all the very best in the future. And I hope that um, your symptoms don't get worse and uh, that you can find ways to alleviate uh, alleviate your condition. Um, great to meet you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time on Rare Together. Thank you.